Claptrap, Episode 10, 4-H. Hey Claptrap Country, we have a really good episode for you today. Our guest is going to be Miss Kelsey Reed. She has a bachelor's degree in agricultural business and she works at the agricultural research branch of the Ohio State University out in Worcester. And she is going to talk with us about 4-H as well as some other things like animal husbandry that kind of go along with that. And the episode overall was quite far-reaching and we even talked about you know, general things that we like at the fair, which kind of has a special place for me because that is where I took my wife on our first date. So if you guys need any date ideas, take your girl to the fair. So with that, let's welcome Kelsey Reed. Hey, Kelsey, how you doing? Welcome to the podcast. I am good. Thanks for having me. So we're going to have you on today and we're going to talk about some farm raisin you, you can tell you were raised in the city, Kyle. <laughs> hey, I used to work at Rufus's farm every once in a while. I guess I, I do remember that. Yeah, so today we're going to get to talk to Kelsey here about some 4-H related questions. If if any of you are from the country, you, you probably know what 4-H is and other folks probably have no idea what we're about to talk about. So Kelsey, to start off, can you kind of tell us what 4-H is and, and just a a quick background information of, of what it is? Of course. So 4-H is a more non-formal educational uh, youth development program that helps kids learn by doing through a lot of hands-on activities. 4-H was actually founded in Clark County, Ohio. So that's pretty cool. It was founded by Albert Belmont Graham in 1902. And really the idea of the more practical hands-on learning came from trying to connect like the public school education system to country life, because back in the day, obviously that's what they were mostly doing. So building community clubs kind of to help solve those agricultural challenges was the first step towards like youth learning more about the industries that were in their home communities. 4-H is also the largest youth development organization in America. Really? That, that is really interesting. I would, I would think like Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts is bigger. Wow. Nope. 4-H is the biggest in America, and there's about 6.5 million members from the ages 5 through 21. And Ohio alone reaches more than 240,000 youth through 4-H. So that I thought was pretty cool. That's incredible, I think. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that 4-H is actually like delivered to them through Cooperative Extension. There's more than 100 public universities that provide it. So, for example, in Ohio, Ohio State University is our host for 4-H. And there's a county extension office in each county. But within those extension offices, they also do more than just 4-H. So they do family consumer sciences, ag and natural resources, the 4-H program, and the SNAP-Ed program. So it's kind of all like joined together because there's also within 4-H, like I'll talk a little bit later about projects and stuff that you can take. So there's ag projects, there's family consumer science projects and all that kind of stuff. So it really plays in together. The 4-H motto is to make the best better and why they call it 4-H actually has to do with the 
occurrence of the initial letter H four times in the organization's motto, which originally was just head, heart, hands, and health. And then in 1927, they adopted the official pledge, which is, I pledge my head to clearer thinking, my heart to greater loyalty, my hands to larger service, and my health to better living for my club, my community, my country, and my world. I actually remember that pledge as, as embarrassing as it is. So I, I was in 4-H, just so all of you you know, I, I participated, I think, I think six years in it. And and showed stuff, and we'll we'll talk more about that here in a little bit. But yeah, that that pledge, we always we always had to say it right at the beginning, and it, it kind of felt, you know, you're like in a club. It's kind of like a club feel to it, you know. You had other kids and stuff in there too, and you all work on projects and stuff together. So that was cool. Yeah, and I I honestly was only actually in a legitimate 4-H club for about a year. From my first year, I was only probably like 10 when I was in it. And that's the only thing that I remember from my first year for H. So besides just participating in like the club meetings, what did you, what did you do while you were in 4-H? So we were actually in, we got signed up into a horse club. Like it was specifically horses and I really didn't like it because I didn't want to do anything with horses. We just kind of had some at home and my mom and dad were like, oh, cool, sweet. You know, let's do this. But my parents also had six kids. So it wasn't really in the budget for all of us to get deeper into it. And I think that's part of the reason that we quit just because of like sports and church and other activities and stuff we had going on. We really just didn't have the time. What kind of horses did you have growing up? I had a uh, Shetland pony. His name was Butterscotch and he was a brat. Are those the little short guys? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So we had a little Shetland pony and then we had a couple different border horses and my dad had an Arabian at one point, but yeah, I didn't like them. I would much rather have cattle than horses. Did you ask for your pony for Christmas? Probably. I don't remember. I know I used to have a piggy bank that said horse fund on it. So I must have wanted one at some point in time. I feel like that's every little girl's dream. They want a pony, right? Yeah, exactly. And then you learn what cattle are and I totally forgot what a horse even was. Wow, really? So you, you prefer cattle over over horses then? A hundred percent. All day, every day. I would take cattle nine times out of ten. Do you like those woolly cows? Yes. What are they called? I want a Scottish Highlander. They're like the real shaggy, fluffy ones. It's basically a yak. Pretty much. Yeah, it's close to one. Oh, yeah. They got to stay warm, probably. Yeah. So in in my experience in 4-H, so one thing, I did take cattle when I showed. And I remember one of the things that we had to do being like in the actual 4-H club and doing the shows, we had to like really study all the cattle, like the parts of the cow. I, I can't recite it nearly as well as I used to, but I used to know all the different types of cattle. And there's a bunch too. Like most people are just like, oh, the black and white one, or there's a brown one, or there's a, a black one. And like, no, there's like, there's like 20 or more different variants of cattle. And then like all their different meat, meat places and stuff. You had to know the names, all that and all, you know, that kind of fun stuff. <laughs> a lot of people, I don't think realize that when the kids take animals to the fair, they're not just like, you know, picking whatever cow dad's got in the pasture and taking it to the fair. They have to work with it. They have to study the actual project books for the skillathon contests and all of that other stuff too, because that's where all that stuff plays in. I'm pretty sure it's like every kid's nightmare is skillathon, but you know, it's crazy to see how much they learn too through skillathon. What the heck's a skillathon? It's like Josh was talking about, like, you have to learn breeds, you have to learn parts of the animals, 
for market animals, they have to learn um, meat cuts. You'd excel at it, Kyle. You would learn all that stuff. And that was like the book nerdy side of everything. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> I always hated that because they were like, you just had to, it was basically just a memory test of how well you can memorize everything. And then you just sat down basically in front of like a judge and they would ask you, they'd fire off questions at you. And basically you had to either answer the question or they had a, a diagram in front of you and you had to like label things like rapid fire. It was torture. Yeah. When I worked at the Wayne County Extension Office, I know one of the skill of tests, if they had a breeding animal project, they had to, you know, name different breeds or name different parts of the udder for dairy cows or even dairy goats, you know, that kind of thing. So they have a whole book from their project book. They have a whole list of things that they can study that could possibly be on Skillathon, but it's not like they're tested on every single thing out of the book either. Now, is that, I, I assume, like you said, you said goats as well. What other kind of different animals might be, you know, can kids possibly take to 4-H? Cattle, so beef cattle, dairy cattle, goats, any kind of poultry, really. Chickens, duck, geese, turkey, pretty much anything like that. Rabbits, horses. Some counties actually have dog shows, um, so you can take your dog. Can you take your hamster? Actually, yes. It's called a cavy project, so you could take hamsters or guinea pigs or things like that. I don't know if they actually do like a legitimate hands-on show. I'm not sure on that, but I know there is a project book so they can do it and they would like take pictures of their animals and they could do like a breeding cavy type thing. And yeah, you can do just about anything that you can imagine. You can somehow incorporate with 4-H. So then kind of what you're just talking about, Kelsey, first was kind of the skills course where it's more the, the person kind of participating but you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier that kids got to do a little bit of work f with their with their animal. What what would they have to do with their their animal, and and what is that for? It really depends on what kind of animal they take. We'll use cattle and and horses maybe as an example. Yeah. So for larger livestock, you walk them into the ring, and the judge is in the center of the ring. Everybody in your class files in behind you. And then they'll have you set up different ways. They'll have you kind of all set up in a line where you're all kind of like, he can like walk around and see the front and then the back of the animal. And then he'll have you kind of line up around the ring and they can get a side profile of the animal. And the judges are looking at different things based on whether it's a market animal or a breeding animal. I can talk about that a little more in depth too. Market animals, they're really looking more at the physical features like muscle shape, finish, structure, and how they balance are more of like the eye appeal. And the reason for that, why they're looking for those details is that it's important in livestock production because they need to help predict what the animal is going to look like in the finishing stage when it's ready for processing. So that's more of the market side of things. But into breeding also, they kind of look for some of the same aspects, but they're looking more at, you know, their skeleton, like the skeletal width and muscling. Again, looking for that balance and eye appeal, but they also look for characteristics that the animals are exhibiting that are going to help promote growth and performance. Because a lot of time, you know, the breeding stock is used to further on their herds and expand them. So they need to have, you know, it's going to help create high quality carcasses, whether it's for human consumption or creating like a top notch, you know, breed line for your herd. I remember, so I, I think I participated basically in market only. I, I would sell 
my my cattle at the end of the show each each time or whatever you go to the auction and i always remember <clears throat> on the flip side kyle so he, we first kind of talked about the skills and and learning some of the the book stuff about your cow well then on the on the flip side here what what kelsey was just talking about on the show side you also kind of wanted to know that too because the higher the better you placed in the show typically you would get a higher return in the the auction so there there'll be like an auction after you have the show with your with your animal if you're have have a market animal so if you win first prize or grand prize i guess there's i don't even know there's probably like a grand champion i I never made it that far but you get you get a higher dollar per pound you know for like a cow than you would if you got sixth place yeah and it really i'll think i think that a lot of that tying in kind of just talking about the auction at the end most market animals are terminal, meaning that they sell and then they go to the processing plant after the fair is over. But I think a lot of that has to do with the kids also putting in the work. A lot of the 4-H parents, you know, and advisors, they'll tell their kids, you know, you have to make sure you're doing your homework because sometimes, you know, grandpa comes to the sale and he buys the um, beef cow back or buys the beef steer back and takes the meat home after it's finished, you know, but a lot of times there'll be different um, school districts that come and they'll purchase animals from the fair or, you know, there's a couple bigger businesses in Stark County. I know Oldwood Limited for one, you know, their kids grew up through 4-H. They were in 4-H when they were younger. So they know how important it is to support those kids. And so the kids will actually, and Josh, I'm sure you did this, they will actually write buyer's letters And they'll send to different businesses across the county, just basically, you know, telling them these are the animals that I'm going to have here at the fair that are market animals. I would appreciate your support. So are you telling me like certain school districts that you go to, the lunch lady might be serving old Bessie for Sloppy Joe's on Wednesdays? (laughs) Oh, man. I never thought about that as a kid, but that's so true. Yeah, sometimes. Yep. And I know there's been quite a few businesses that, you know, they'll come to the fair and they'll purchase these animals. And if they're not taking them to, you know, divide up the meat through their employees or whoever, a lot of times there's meat that gets donated to different shelters and things like that. So that's another way that, you know, these kids are impacting the community, but may not even realize it. You know, all joking aside or whatever, but raising meat in this way is a lot more humane and ethical than something like factory farming. So this is probably an actually very good thing as far as sustainability and things like that go too, right? Yeah. Yep. You know, I know so many farmers who have put in so much blood, sweat and tears into, you know, raising their animals to, you know, put into the food chain and, My grandma, for example, she does not understand how I can work with an animal and then eat it the next year, you know, and so many people are like that. That's your pet. You can't, you can't eat them. Exactly. She's like, Kelsey Renee, how can you go from walking this thing up and down the driveway and taking selfies with it to eating it? And I'm like, that's its purpose, you know, but a lot of times people just look at it as, oh, you know, the the older generations are teaching these 4-H kids just, you know, to kill these things. But that's not the point. You know, yes, these animals have a purpose, whether that be providing milk, whether that be meat or their fibers, you know, like sheep and goats. 
but you know, it's all part of the learning process and everybody's going to have an opinion, but I think this is a way to show the kids that no matter what people say, you know, they're learning the importance of it and of the whole process. Yeah, I I can I can definitely attest to that there. <laughs> so, I I definitely had one favorite animal that I remember spending more time with and it was difficult, but I had to keep in mind, like you said, it, it did have a purpose. Like I knew I was going to sell it at the end of it. And I worked with them every day for probably four or five hours a day for, you know, the entire time since it was born, like putting it on a halter and learning to walk it and getting to the point where I didn't even need a halter. And it would just like almost listen to commands and things like that. It, it's a lot of, it's, it is a lot of work to, to put that kind of effort and, you know, train your animal to get that kind of obedience to it. And then, like you said, a lot of people are like, well, why would you do all that? And, and then go, and then go slaughter it the next day. Well, it's like, well, you kind of have to know that going into it, I, I think. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And I know, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are when you're in 4-H and you're putting in all of those hours in the barn and those hours, like getting close with that animal, as crazy as that sounds, like it's not easy for anybody whether you're a first year 4-H member with your first market animal or it's your last year of 4-H, there's a bond that grows there. And like you said, you know, you know that they have a purpose. So it's all part of the learning process. Well, plus you also have to consider like if this cow was out in the wild, how would it meet its end? It's either going to die of disease or getting eaten alive by like a coyote or a wolf pack or something. So the way it, it goes at the slaughterhouse is probably a lot easier way out than getting eaten alive by a by a wolf or something <laughs> yeah right so, sorry if we have any vegetarian listeners well okay on the, on the other hand like there's still a bunch of projects that you can do that don't have anything to do with meat or animals or like that's the that's the fun thing about parade is that it's so versatile and there's so many different ways that you can be involved in it that there's something there's literally something for everyone so how long does this whole process take from like start to finish? Like how long is a 4-H project? If you're going to, if we're going to stick with cows and horses or whatever, how long do those projects normally take? So we don't slaughter horses in Ohio. So you can take the same horse project from the time that you are eligible to start taking the live 4-H projects until your last year. There's different classes that you can do. There's different projects that you can do with each horse, different classes that you can compete in. So horses, there's a lot more leniency with. Your beef market project is a one-year project. Most kids start buying calves early spring. Well, maybe even right after fair. Um, It just depends when the tag-in date is for their fair. The reason they do the tag-in dates and things are because they don't want you just walking out to the field, you know, the week before the fair starts saying, oh, I'm going to take Bessie over here instead of Bobby Sue. So there's like different protocols that they have to follow to make sure that it's fair for everybody. But the market beef is a one-year project. You basically purchase your animal or pick whichever one you plan to take. If you have a farm at home, you'll go through the tag-in process and then start working with it. Walking it, haltering it, getting it completely halter broke, washing it. So they get used to being washed for fair week because you want your animals to look you know, the, their best for the show. Nice and fluffy. Exactly. Fluffy cows make people happy. But even though that's not what they're being judged on, it's still nice to have them looking nice and clean. And for me, it's always been a stress reliever. Like being in the barn is my place to think. 
And I feel like it's that way for a lot of different 4-Hers, taking the time to walk them and make sure their halter are broken, not only just for the show and for the 4-H factor, but just for the safety of others around you when you're in the show. I'm not going to lie, you know, some kids make their projects their entire life. They're out in the barn before school, they're out in the barn after school, they're putting in the long hours and they're dedicated to that project. But there are some kids who, you know, don't work as hard with them. And I feel like those animals, you can tell as soon as they step off the trailer, because, you know, they've got to have grandpa helping them unload this calf or this steer or this dairy cow, because... Right. Who's leading it? Is the steer leading the kid or is the kid leading the steer? (laughs) Exactly. That's the perfect way to put it. And I think that, you know... 4-H is something, and the projects that are within 4-H, like it's something that you can either learn a lot or just kind of try to do bare minimum to get by, but you're not learning as much, you're not benefiting as much. And you can definitely tell that those kids who put in more time to train those animals and put in more time to any project that, you know, they feel more accomplished in the end. So you were saying sometimes you can tell like if, if an animal's a little bit unruly because it hasn't been trained to a certain degree or whatever. What's the worst thing you've ever seen at like a show or something? I think the worst thing that I ever saw was, so a girl that I know, I know her, I know her family, like they all do very well, you know, working with their animals and such, which, you know, you can only do so much work until you feel like they're broke, but when it comes fair time, all the animals are a little bit on edge and stuff, but they went to walk to the show ring for her market show. She got in the ring, everything was going okay. And as soon as she made the first turn in the pen, her steer went crazy, drug her across the ring until she let go. And then it took probably 10 or 15 minutes for them to corner this steer and grab him. And it was a younger girl So it was kind of scary at first, you know, is she okay? Did he trample on her? You know, parents swear up and down, you know, oh, he's perfect at home. Like he's an angel, but it's definitely scary. Like, especially with the younger classes of kids and they're, you know, 13 to 1500 pound animal. Like it's a little bit scary, but luckily that instance, like she was okay. Nobody was hurt. The steer was fine. After that, she grabbed the halter and went on like nothing ever happened. So everything was good. Yeah, my uh, brother actually used to show like draft ponies at the fair. And the one year he was leading the the horse to the barn and they were going past where the racetrack and they were doing like those like chariot races or whatever you call them. And the pony decided that he wanted to run with them. So he just like takes off and Corey was like trying to like rein him back. And Corey got like drugged by the draft pony, got like trampled and stuff. And he was wearing like a University of West Virginia sweatshirt and you could, it was yellow and you could see like the hoof prints and stuff on him. He, he got pretty beat up over that. It's definitely happened more times than not. And it's, again, that isn't something that, you know, maybe the kid didn't train the animal. That's not always the case. They could be like, you know, puppy dog broke and still, you know, just kind of have those moments that spook them or something and they just act out of character and potentially hurt people but thankfully i haven't heard of anything major the last few years at the fair so yeah so i know you were saying that you participated in in 4-h as well right so did you end up taking an animal is is that what i got correct did you take you end up taking the the horse is that is that true so i did not 
honestly, the reason we ended up kind of having to drop it was just because church comes first in my family and the particular group that we joined, um, club that we joined, every single event that they had was on Sundays. So it didn't really work out. And then, like I said, you know, having six kids and trying to find projects for all six kids and everything, it was so that's one thing that I really, you know, wish I would have had the chance to participate in. But even though I wasn't technically in a club when I was younger, I've still found other ways to be involved. I actually work for a beef cattle farm in Maslin, DA Cattle. And I've worked for Dustin and Amy now, shoot, like five or six years, I think. And I just, when I started going out there, I was going out with a friend of mine and she had her 4-H steer that she was working with. And I instantly fell in love. And I got to go, I went so many places with them outside of 4-H and outside of the fairs and stuff to show. Um, I've shown a couple times at Ohio Beef Expo. We've traveled to Michigan Beef Expo, the big livestock show in Kentucky. Everybody pronounces it different, but I pronounce it Nolly. We went down there. Yeah, there, there's shows all over the country for this. Like you said, it, it, for being a big organization, you would expect it, it's everywhere. I'm sure it's huge in Texas too, if I had to guess. Oh yeah. Yep. There's, there's tons of different livestock shows and everything. And even though they're not all, you know, directly related to 4-H, a lot of those 4-H kids take their projects and they show at those bigger, like bigger scale shows. So it's definitely a lot of fun and a, a, a great memory for me. Just again, not since I wasn't able to be in 4-H, still being able, still being given the chance to show was such a blessing for me. Like I've learned so much and I've met so many people. I, I will also add on, I don't know if you'll know about this at all, Kelsey, or not, Kyle, to help out our, our vegetarian people who don't necessarily want to talk about animals getting, getting beat up and everything. I know in 4-H, too, you don't necessarily have to have a project that's related to an animal. I remember myself in 4-H, I, one year I did a project where it was related to, like, photography and so there, there's barns. I don't know if you've ever been to a fair, there's more than just livestock at the fair. You know, there's, there's art, there's art barns, there's barns where you see flowers and, and baking contests and things like that. You can do all that kind of stuff through 4-H as well. You, if you wanted to, you could bake a really nice cake and enter it into the, into the contest and try and win, you know, first prize, same thing there. So it's not, it's not an animal per se, but you're using baking skills or photography skills. There's things like growing the tallest sunflower, like or the biggest or the biggest pumpkin, or you know the the highest quality bale of hay. There's all those those kind of different things as as well, not just on the animal side of stuff. Yes, and that's definitely one of my favorite things to talk about when it comes to 4-H, just because. Again, not being in 4-H, I didn't really understand that. I wish I would have known that back in the day because there's so many projects that I think sound like fun that I think I would have really enjoyed. But there really is a wide range of projects. There are hundreds of different projects that can teach the kids anything from like household skills like sewing and cooking and grilling and canning to just some basic life skills like money management, public speaking, leadership. There's just there's so many different areas you dream it, you can probably do it in 4-H. For example, I know that you're into this whole like bread making thing and stuff right now. So say in the future that you wanted to give your daughter, Audrey, a chance at being in 4-H. She could totally do like a bread making project or like cake baking project or something like that. And it's something that you guys could kind of bond through, but she could still enter it in 4-H. Before there was Cake Boss, there was 4-H. 
Exactly. Yeah. Now I think we're going to clear out the shed and raise a Shetland pony or something in there and take to the fair. Do it. Uncle Corey will be all in. So I guess that kind of answers the question about, do you need a farm in order to do this? The answer would seem like, no, I guess you would kind of need, need one if you were going to uh, raise an animal though, or is there like some kind of program you can be in if you like live in New York city where you can raise a, a cow or a pig or something? So it really just depends. No, you definitely do not have to live on the farm. You can 100% live in the city and still participate in 4-H. And I always kind of advise people, you know, if you're interested in it, but you don't really know what you want to do, but you might want to have an animal, but you don't really have space for a big animal, just go to your local um, extension office, your county office, talk to the 4-H educator in your county. I'm sure they can get you one of the family guidebooks that I know Ohio 4-H puts out, and I'm sure other state 4-H's put out. Basically what the family guide is, is it lists all of the projects that are available in 4-H and it gives a little bit of an explanation with them. So, you know, if you want to, if you live in the city, but you want to take an animal, start your child with a rabbit. Or if you have a little bit of acreage, but not a lot, start with some chickens or something. I always wanted a duck. Yeah. There's so many different ways that you can be involved and you don't have to have a lot of space or a lot of money even to do it. Or the hamster, like we talked about earlier. <laughs> the cabby project, yeah. So what is your your personal favorite thing to do at the fair? Is it the tractor pulls? Is it the truck pulls? Is it the food? Is it the whatever else? Big pumpkin contest? So I guess the past few years, the fair has been a little bit different for me, but in a in a really good way. My favorite thing to do is actually work at the fair. My friend that I mentioned earlier, Amy Adams, she owns a little boutique store called City Limits Western. And the past few years, she has, you know, had a booth at the fair. So I always go out there and work through the week with her. And it is such a blast. What does she sell? Livestock supplies. So really kind of caters to the 4-H kids. That's one of her passions is really helping those 4-H kids and mentoring them. And she, so she sells different like show supplies, like show sticks and number holders and combs and all the fancy stuff and she also sells like clothing and shoes and accessories and things like that so a little bit of everything so I love going and working for her each year we always have a blast I love taking time and going and watching the shows especially like since I've worked for Dusty and Amy on their beef farm I love going and watching the kids show who purchased steers from Dusty just because I'm like, oh, I got to play with those calves when they were just, you know, real tiny. And it's fun for me to see the finished project and see how hard the kids have worked and really just to see it pay off for them. But besides that, of course, I have to watch the tractor pulls and I have to hit up my favorite food places, which include the Kirk's Kitchen to get a loaded mashed potato bowl. You have when you're at the fair, you, of course, have to get like a fair lemonade. And I don't remember like the guy's name that owns it, but the best lemonade at the Stark County Fair is the lemonade stand at the corner of the Junior Fair booth that's, like, right on the track. Dude, that guy's been so good forever. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yes, he is the best. And then there's also a trailer. It's kind of back up by the entertainment pavilion where they have different people come in and sing and stuff. But they have the best loaded pork fries that you will ever taste they are so good so those are my three staples that you know are a must at the fair at least at the stark county fair how do you feel about wisconsin cheese curds i can do without those i agree cheese curds are no good kyle what 
What do you think you like at the fair? I like seeing those like massive chickens and turkeys. For some reason, the the chickens with like feathers on their feet make me laugh because they just seem like, what is the purpose? I also like going to see the giant vegetables. You'll just have some kind of like Franken squash that weighs like 600 pounds. And you're like, how's this even a thing? I, I enjoy that quite a bit. Good tractor pool, you know, I like it. I like it all. What's your favorite thing, Josh? Oh, <clears throat> so I, I definitely I used to like the animals more, I think, when I was a kid, I, I think as an adult. And when I got a little bit older, I, I, I steered away from that huh, puns. I think I turned it more into I, I like some of the carny stuff. Like I love going to heckle the car, like the carny people like on the games and like trying to win, you know, some stupid big teddy bear for the girl you brought with you or or your your, your sister or your mom or whoever wants it. And or like, you know, getting a jumbo blooming onion like the, the fries are the best at fairs. I don't know why this is and why other restaurants can't figure this out. Fair fries are the best fries. I've never gone to a fair and not had a good thing of fries. They're probably terrible for you, but God, do they taste good. So that's probably my my favorite. But at the Stark County Fair, though, I will say probably my favorite thing there is the is the milkshake barn. So they they get they obviously the dairy cattle from the 4-H people. They have to, you know, they still have to milk the cattle while they're there. They use that milk and they have a obviously a homemade milk stand or ice cream stand as well. And man, that. It's just obviously right from the farm. It's right there. It's awesome. And I don't know how I forgot about that one, but yes, you have to, it's a must. You have to get a milkshake from the junior fair milkshake stand while you're at the Stark County fair. What's the best fair you guys have ever been to? Have you been to the Ohio state fair or Canfield fair or any of the bigger ones? I have been to the Ohio state fair numerous times. When I was in high school, our marching band at Fairless actually went down because they have like a parade through the state fair. We would go down and we would perform in the parade. So I've been there a couple times for that. And then I've also worked at the state fair a couple times. I did an internship with the Ohio department of agriculture and I was in the markets division and kind of planning ODA's tent at the state fair was my big project for my internship. So I did that a couple times and I love the state fair. There's so many things to do, so many different things to see. You have to see the butter cow. That's like a staple at the state fair. But other than that, my favorite county fairs in Ohio are definitely Stark County because, you know, that's where I'm from and Wayne County. And I think I'm partial to Wayne County because I worked in the extension office and I seen, you know, I was able to see how hard they worked to put on that fair. And it's a little bigger than Stark County, but they definitely have more animal projects. They have more kids in Wayne County who bring the animal projects. So it's always fun for me to see those too. The thing I always liked about the Stark County Fair though, I felt like they always did a really good job at the event center. Like, I mean, there used to be big country concerts there and like monster truck shows and things. And like the tractor poles were always high class there. Like the grandstand shows were always uh, phenomenal, I think, in my opinion. Uh, so I've, I've been to a bunch of them. Carol, Wayne, Stark, Summit. I, I've been to, you know, lots of them. I, I grew up on a farm. So that was kind of the thing that we would do. Um, but I, I, I also agree with Kelsey. I think as a family, I think going to like the State Fair in Columbus, there's so much stuff to do. I mean, you'll you'll hurt your feet trying to do everything, go around how much space there is to go see everything. But, but there's things for everybody in your family. If you don't like livestock, there's art stuff. If you don't like 
those, there's good food. If you don't like that, there's fun rides. Like there's a million different things you can do at that fair. So definitely got to check that out. Have you guys ever been to any of the out-of-state fairs? I've heard like Iowa and I think Minnesota are like pretty legendary for their state fairs. I'd imagine Texas is probably good too, but have you guys been to any of those? I haven't, but they're definitely on my bucket list. I So my personal bucket list for county fairs, I want to hit every fair in Ohio. We have 88 counties, but there's actually a few more kind of independent fairs and stuff. Um, I've been to quite a few of them, but I haven't, I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface, but one day I will get there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of on the same boat as Kelsey there. I've never been out of state. I've been to probably 20 or, or so different county fairs around here, but that's, that's quite a goal, Kelsey, going to all of them, man, that, that's like a, that's like a few year project. It seems like. Okay. To wrap it all up, Josh, do you got any else you want to add no i i would just wanted to say you know thank you for coming on our show today kelsey and, and telling us all about 4-h and advocating for it i agree with you 100 percent with all the positive and, and wonderful things you said i think it's a great program and you know hopefully people understand and, and appreciate that kelsey do you have any social media plugs or anything you want to tell anybody about Really, I would just encourage you, wherever you're at, look into your county 4-H offices. Lots of them have Facebook pages, Instagram pages, probably Twitter handles. They're really informative, and it's not just always posting you know, information about 4-H or what's happening in the county. It's just fun stuff happening around the state. So check into those and always consider you know, joining if you're of age or you know, your future generation joining because it's... It, like I said before, there's something for everybody, and I think that it could be a positive experience for a lot of people. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, Kelsey, and we wish you luck at this year's fair. Thank you. All right, Claptrap Nation. Now it's time for Kyle and I to talk about whether or not we would get into a hobby and just some of our afterthoughts. We'll start off with you, Kyle. What do you think about the episode, and, and what do you think about 4-H? Well, I really enjoyed this episode. I definitely learned a ton that I didn't know about it because I mean, I kind of grew up with it, not being a part of it, but you know, going to the fairs and seeing all the projects and knowing plenty of farm kids, you know, I had an idea of what it was, but not exactly what it all entailed. You mentioned your brother was into it a little bit too, didn't you? His friend Aaron had a farm and he had horses and, and things like that, that they raised. So Corey helped train some of the, uh, the draft ponies a couple times. And then I think he also showed steers as well. So he was into it a little bit. Yeah. So I think, you know, like you saying, you may have been not, a, you didn't know a lot going into this episode. And I think a lot of people are in the same boat as you, to be honest. And that is because I think 4-H and fair life kind of gets really tied into farm, farm life, which it's easy to do it that way. But one thing I really liked that Kelsey talked about is not needing to own a farm or be on a farm in order to participate stuff. I think one thing so many people and parents don't realize is that 4-H is more than just selling livestock, training livestock, and more than just animals. It's sewing projects, it's art projects, it's, you know, baking, you know, anything that you could possibly think of in terms of crafting or, you know, stuff of, of that nature. And you can, you can do it at the, 
at the fair. So that's that's really why I I liked 4H and is one of the biggest organizations in the world. Like like Kelsey was saying there. So one thing I really like about it is, like you said, it encompasses so many different things, and it's it's more of kind of practical skills as well, especially with like this coronavirus and stuff. Maybe like over the last year or so, I've kind of come to the grips that the nation as a whole doesn't really have a bunch of practical skills. Right. Yeah, exactly. That is hits the nail right on the head. It's like I took, I think, one home ec class through like, you know, adolescent school. And I think a lot of people are losing that skill of like, you know, being able to be good at artwork unless they're like really passionate about it or like sewing or or decorating or baking or photography or or even taking care of an animal, taking care of something other than yourself. Everyone is so consumed with, you know, social media nowadays and them and themselves and their and their personal look like on how the world views them. It's like organizations like 4H, I think, help you balance out the need to to think about other practical things like you're saying. That's that's so awesome. Well, even just something like growing a garden, my our grandparents' generation, they probably, you know, 95% of families probably had a garden back in, you know, the 20s, 30s, and 40s. And nowadays, it's probably the opposite. Maybe 5% of families have a garden or something. Yeah, I I can't say I ever had a garden growing up. I, I didn't, even though we were we were farmers. But yeah, we never grew anything at home, though. But that's just like the same thing. You know, what if the grocery stores all went bad and everyone's, you know, farm crop went bad? You know, the food shortage would be tremendous because no one grows their own food anymore. And I don't even think half the people would know how to take care of it. You know, they'd be like, they'd be starving. Yeah, things could definitely get real bad. Even something like it, like a solar flare and it, you know, knocks out the electricity for three weeks or something. If your refrigerator isn't working for three weeks, all that food in your refrigerator is going to go bad unless you're, you know, somewhat of a prepper and have like a generator and enough gas to keep you going. You just realize, especially with like the coronavirus, like I was saying, how fragile kind of the support systems of modern life kind of are. And, you know, I would, I think 4-H is a good thing to kind of learn those practical skills. Either, you know, you know, I live in an, you know, an allotment. It's still in like the rural part of the state, but, you know, there's people with chicken coops in my neighborhood, which is something you don't normally see. So it, it's something good for, I think, even your average person to get into. So I, I think I know the answer then. If I ask you if, if you think, you know, 4-H is worth participating in, or if it's something, you know, that you would see yourself being interested in, in the future, or, you know, just taking something out of the 4-H book and, and applying it to your, your life skills or home skills, you think you're going to do that? Yeah, I'm kind of already sort of into the whole homesteading kind of movement, even though I live on like a third of an acre, like I said, in an allotment, you know, I am planning on putting a quite substantial garden up. I've already had a garden kind of on the smaller end, but this year I want to expand into like an herb garden, expand the the vegetable garden. And then what are you going to grow? You think? Uh, probably. Well, I think I laid it all out and I have like almost 50 different plants that I want to try to plant. I can, you know, tomatoes, peppers, onions, garlic, chervil, basil, thyme, comfrey 
borage, a whole bunch of herbs. Like I'm going to go way off the deep end on herbs because I, th- I feel like it just makes your, your cooking taste so much better. Right. It makes it interesting. I agree. That's cool. Very cool. So yes, if not directly, indirectly, because, you know, I have a one-year-old daughter, she could probably do something kind of not like giant livestock. Help you go pick out the garden or something. Yeah. Right. Help it, help you go pick the peppers out of the out of the pepper patch. Yeah, she can do a, like a sewing project or bake something for the the other contest, but we don't have room to, to raise a horse or anything. Right, right. I mean, I I think a lot of people are in that. That's where we got into the debate. Like, do you actually need a farm or not need a farm? I think on the livestock side, we kind of answered that question. You probably need to either know someone on the farm. Or, or own a farm. I guess you could technically, there's places where you could rent, like a, I'm sure there's a fee. You could be like, hey, I want to take a horse. Like, can I buy a horse from you and then, you know, keep it here and I'll come work with it. I'm sure there are places that you can do stuff like that for. But, you know, the majority of the people are probably going to take your approach and, hey, let's grow something at home in the garden or, hey, let's learn how to sew something cool, like a quilt. They have quilt contest or let's learn how to bake like an awesome, you know, homemade pie and and enter it in there because it's something fun to do and you know one thing i don't think we touched enough on in the episode is how much it's tied to the family like just like the our last episode with the soapbox derby you know it's a a real family oriented thing i think 4-h is along the same lines there it's like oh obviously the kid probably isn't going to do the whole project unless they're you know they're in their later teen years and but when they're younger they're going to need a lot of direction from mom, mom or dad there so it's a good family exercise. So bottom line for you or when you have kids, are you going to involve them in the, the 4-H program? I think so. And I was a 4-H'er for, you know, a number of years, like I was saying. And I'm, I don't know if you want to consider it fortunate enough to, or not just the luck of the draw, I guess we have a, a family farm as well. So if it's still going at that time, I think we would do the livestock because it, it does teach you responsibility, whether you have a pet someday, you know, how many people go through and the first time you get a dog, like the kid never takes care of the dog and like the parent end up taking care of the dog. But I think if you wait till a little older and give them something that's a little more responsible than like a, like a dog's kind of self-sufficient, like a cow is not, you got to take care of it. Or a horse, same thing. You got to feed it every day. You got to clean its stall out all the time. And it's not necessarily as smart as like some of your, you know, domesticated pets. So I think that it's a good life lesson for, for kids to learn. Yeah, I totally agree. So to wrap up, we will uh, like to thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. We have a page called claptrap country for you guys to check out maybe get a conversation started about your own hobbies or something that cool that you heard on the podcast we would also appreciate if you give us a like and a review on apple Podcasts now that we're we're up on there and uh we hope to see you again next week thanks for tuning in and happy new year